Jim, you did a great job with that. Podcast partner is Luke Payson, and as you just heard, you're listening to MMA FanCast. Normally, we give you uh, a little rundown of what we're going to be talking about, but today we're just going to uh, jump right into the talk, and it's going to be a UFC 237 recap. Um, some things that uh, that came out of that, and uh, issues that really, uh, in my mind, have been hanging around the game, and you don't hear too much talk about it. Um, so the first thing I want to talk about is some legacies. And, and actually, this will all tie together um, with the, the mental part of the fight game, um, legacies, and and how either hanging on or moving on to something else, how that affects your legacy. And so the first uh, one we're going to talk about is Anderson Silva. Anderson uh, Silva took on Jared Cannonier, and it was a leg injury that uh, that ended up stopping the fight. Um, but um, the point in bringing him up is that he is a legend of the sport, a true legend of the sport. Um, you know, so many uh, big, uh, big bouts that he was involved in. And, you know, right now he has lost six of seven. Uh, in that span, there was also um, the, the fight with Nick Diaz, which uh, was overturned. It was a victory, but it was a, a no contest. Um, and resulted in, you know, a suspension came out of that. But, um, Luke, I wanted to get your, your thoughts on, on Silva, where he's at right now. Overall, he's 34 and 10. He's 44 years old. What does he have to prove right now um, at this point in his career, if anything? Yeah, I mean, I think the problem that's going to come up a lot, and I know we're going to be talking about BJ in a little bit, is um, – there is a time of hanging on too long. I know we'd have to go back. He was still champ. And I know that losing six out of seven, it's important to note that that started the night he got knocked out by fooling around and showboating against um, the All-American. And, and that, I think, was um, – I think he got rattled a little bit too early. I think that knockout took a couple good fights out of him. I really think he could have probably gotten Chris um, in that fight, at least the first fight. But – but anyhow, um, somewhere when he was still champ, they, the UFC signed him to a 10-fight deal. And we didn't do a lot of research, but you'd have to go back and find that. And I, and I think, if I had a guess, Silva might still be doing this, thinking that um, he can regain his former glory. I doubt it. I, from what I know, by watching tons of interviews with Silva, he loves the fact that the UFC has allowed him to come to the United States. He lives in California, and either he is an American citizen, don't quote me on that, or he at least loves the United States, his family, his kids. And, and I think there might be loyalty, even though we're talking about legacy here. I think we do not know behind the scenes. And I don't trust Anna White at all as far as 
what he says to the camera, what he doesn't. You know, there's times they'll say, oh, I don't want a fighter fighting one fight past what they should be. And that's true when it came to Chuck Liddell because Chuck Liddell was his boy. He was very upset when Chuck kept fighting and then eventually was like, I'm not having to fight anymore. And then Chuck, you know, just recently went out and, and took a fight outside and, and Daniel was all upset about that because I think he really does care about Chuck. Um, but, but anyhow, all this to say, we don't know what behind the scenes is going. There's a chance the UFC is holding the 10 fight contract to Silva. It really shouldn't matter for those of us that are listening to the audience base. Uh, not fighting on a contract really doesn't matter as long as you don't want to fight someplace else. So if you fight me to a 30 fight contract, a five fight contract, two fight contract, and I don't follow through and I don't fight, you really can't do anything about it as long as I'm not fighting anywhere else. But I think that might be part of it with Silva. Maybe he feels obligated. Maybe there's some pressure. There's not pressure. He might just feel obligated to the UFC for what they've done for him as far as him being able to come to the United States, have a good income. Um, but I, I mean, losing six out of seven, I think at this point, you asked the question about legacy. Yeah, it really does hurt his legacy. I'm not one. I'm not one to um, to just say, well, you can fool around as long as you want, and it doesn't matter. Of course it matters. Yes, he stole a lot of records. Yes, he defended um, the belt for a very long time, longest record in, in, in 185, and he still is a legend. But, yeah, I, I think it absolutely tarnishes his legacy. Any other fighter losing six out of seven, or we're going to talk about BJ Penn later, wouldn't even be in the UFC. And I think that still matters a little bit. Um, and, yeah, I, I think it's a terrible idea. I think he should. He should end it. We know that his body's breaking down. He's 44. The injury is a huge deal. He snapped his leg, one of the grossest things you'll ever see. And whether or not he was using performance enhancers before, most of the comments coming out of when he got when he got busted for performance enhancers after the yeah, fight was that he was probably using that supplementally because of trying to come back from his injury. I mean, that's a bit of an excuse, but I could see that happening. So I really, and I said it today, although, you know, it doesn't matter now, but I said it today, Brooke, was like, he should have just been done. He had lost two in a row, but at least he would have ended fighting for a title, uh, you know, and nobody can prevent a leg from snapping. Yeah, I think it's a terrible idea for him to still be fighting. Obviously, his body's beat up. When you come off PDs at any point in time, your body gets weaker. You don't have the level of the ability to bounce back. Think of Vitor Belfort. Think of some of the guys that were monsters on CRT. They come off, their body falls apart because it just physically can't. Plus, he's also 44, and I'm not accusing him of being on steroids long. I think it was a temporary thing to bounce back from the leg. But I would just wrap up by saying, yes, to me, it's impacting his legacy. I think he's dedicated, and he's probably trying to be a man of honor and fighting out his 10, or there's pressure behind the scenes of the UFC because he's still a big-time a big time guy. I think he was the co-main event or something like that, and uh, that doesn't make sense either at, at this point. But that was my response. What do you think about his legacy? What's your view? I mean, I, I think his legacy is uh, is intact, um, but you know, I for uh, for the new fans and uh, the casual fans, because you know that's the UFC is still um, as big as their brand is. They want to continue growing, especially with this new deal that they signed with ESPN. And I think when you put up fighters like that, yeah, you know, I mean, you're gonna keep keep the uh, the hardcore fans. Um, you know, I don't. I, I don't know that he should be uh, be featured um, the way that they still, to some extent, do. You know, he's got the big highlight um, knockouts, and again, talking about his legacy, he is a true legend of the sport. Oh yeah, helped, helped build the UFC. I I don't think that there's really any any benefit for him or the UFC for him to keep going. Now. Um, Let's just let's jump over to uh, BJ Penn because that's a similar yeah, yeah, yeah. 
They're similar, so, yeah. Yeah, they're very similar. Um, two things that I wanted to uh, – actually, one thing that I wanted to point out that I thought was interesting um, in both of their careers. Uh, you know, Penn has, uh, has fought Frankie Edgar three times, lost all three times. I go back to the first Edgar fight when I yeah. feel like that's where things really changed uh, for BJ yep. Penn. Two consecutive losses uh, to, to Edgar in a row. Um, and then, you know, after – Both for championships. It's important to point out that I, I think Silva and BJ Penn have a similar mental issue, which is they, they lost from the championship, and then from there it just went downhill so quickly. Because when BJ first was beaten by Edgar, that was at the – that was still when he was champ. And I, I think that's part of it. But continue on with, with, with the history. Well, no, that, I mean, that, uh, that you, you, uh, there, there was a word in there that you threw in mental. And, you know, a lot yeah. of this conversation tonight is going to um, focus on, uh, on that word, the, the mental um, part of the fight game. So, yeah, Penn is now on a seven-fight losing streak, a new UFC record um, with Weidman. Uh, it's saying, I'm, let me go back to that. Silva, um, in uh, his – the first of his six out of seven losses was to Chris Weidman. As you mentioned, um, that was for uh, a title fight, um, same as Penn. Two consecutive losses, and it just seemed like they were both a shell of their former um, fighting images and what we knew of them and what we had expected to, uh, to see of them in the ring. So – you know, he's, I mean, seven in a row is, that is a significant um, losing streak, regardless of the sport that you're in. But when you factor in that this is MMA and it's one guy and he has now lost seven in a row himself, I know this is going back over a number of years, but um, I feel like this, this really – to me, this one would be uh, a situation where it could possibly put you know a, a little bit of a stain on uh, on BJ Penn. Some some things going on in his life outside of the octagon, um, you know, could contribute to that. But I think you know he's got to find a way to transition back to um, you know a life away from the octagon and the, and away from the UFC. Yeah. You know, something you brought up about Silva, which I, I'm not going to disagree with you per se, but I'm going to disagree a little bit as far as your comment related to the UFC. You said that at this point with Silva, and I'm sure you'd say the same thing with BJ Penn. It doesn't make sense. There doesn't seem to be any benefit for Silva or there doesn't seem to be any benefit to the UFC. Here's the thing. The UFC doesn't do anything that it doesn't think benefits itself. Remember when Dana White went absolutely bonkers at Ariel Awani because he dared to release an hour early that Brock might be coming back because they had a 10-second clip of I'm back, you know, planned? Like it, it just was so out of control because Dana White wants to control everything and, and so does all his people. So my thing with this is I agree with you completely that it's terrible for BJ Penn. It's terrible for Silva. However, I cannot agree, although I understand why you would say it doesn't make sense to UFC. For them, it does. The UFC, sadly, and I would say most fight organizations, particularly UFC, 
they've crunched the numbers, at least in their mind. Now, I would make the argument that don't have Silva fighting at all. Don't have BJ Penn fighting at all. And then the, the guys that are beating them could actually be fighting people that would be more competitive. What's the point of, the, of the guy that beat BJ, right? I don't even really, Oh no, it was a clay Guida. So he's at least an established guy. Right. But even, even clay, they say he's on a three fight win streak, but what does that matter? He's not beating anybody that, that's relevant. And I would say the guy that beat Silva, what does that do for your ranking? You really shouldn't do anything. It's almost like when people beat, and I, I know this could be taken out of context and sound insulting. It's also when people beating CM Punk. Punk. I understand that CM Punk had no business being the UFC. But what I'm saying is those guys that were beating him weren't necessarily getting better. And I think you're getting exposure beating Silva, but rolling it back. The UFC has crunched numbers. And basically what they think is they think we've established these fighters. We've put millions of dollars of advertising over the years. And we're going to continue to reap benefits of people knowing them and, you know, pay-per-view to see them because there's a lot of nostalgia. And I personally, I am a nostalgic guy. I'm a, I'm a Randy Couture guy. I mean, I'm a nostalgic guy. I'd watch him at almost 60 if he was going to fight, right? But it would be a terrible idea. I mean, I think one of the things is that the UFC does not take these guys away and say, if you want to go fight in one FC, if you want to go fight in Risen, remember when, when they were taking anybody, go do that. The UFC doesn't want to do that because they'd rather beat these guys up on the organization to get to get, you know, to get extra uh, viewership. But BJ Penn has no business fighting for his own health and safety. And he also, it's, it, 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 the UFC has to think that Silva and BJ Penn are bringing in fans. And I think that if they did not think that for any reason, right, because they've gotten in trouble getting rid of Leslie Smith, right? They, they'll get rid of people even, even when they're on a win streak, even when they're doing well, if they dare say something against Dana, if they dare to talk about union, right? We, we're not talking about union today, but there's been class action lawsuits against the UFC saying that, hey, when I bring up union, I get fired even when I'm on a win streak. And who gets fired from the UFC on a win streak? Well, you do if the UFC decides that you're not helping them. You know, So you bring up union, you'll get fired if you're on a five-fight win streak. They don't care. But if you're Silva or BJ Penn and they think you're bringing in viewership, They'll let you get beat up six, seven. And, and the thing is, I think most of our fans know this. BJ Penn has just set a new record for number of losses in a row that you're still in the UFC. That's, that's not a good record to set, right? It's clear evidence that the UFC is holding on to BJ Penn long after they've done anybody else for any reason. They've had champs before that hit slides. The UFC, this isn't the first time an aging champ has hit losses. I brought up Chuck Liddell. That's a good example, right? So the UFC knows to cut people and stop putting them on their cards when they're losing. Something else to bring up about BJ Penn. I, I read an interview he did right before this fight against Clay Guida. And he said, and I think this comes back to the mental, so I'm giving you a softball. Here we go. He actually said, I am fighting because I am going to become champ. And I am fighting because this is the road back for me being champ. He said it like three times. Do you think that's part of the mental process that he might be a little non-aware? I was almost going to say delusional. What do you think about, let's just ask it this way. What do you think about BJ Penn's comments just before his fight, a couple of days before his fight, where people were asking him, why are you still fighting? Why aren't you retired? You know, kind of what we were asking. And he said, guys, I'm not doing this just because I want to get out there and fight. I'm doing it because I know it can be champ again and I'm going to start my championship run right now. So what do you, what do you say to that? Well, I, I did, uh, I did read those comments that he had. Okay. Good, good. Yeah. I understand that part of, um, the, the mental, 
game. Mm-hmm. There, there was a quote I saw recently, and I, I'd, I'd seen it, you know, pop up um, every now and again, and I I can't give it verbatim, um, but this was a Bruce Lee um, quote, you know, something he said about um, being in a room and that your mentality, you know, the room is locked, you're in there with somebody, and your mentality should be, um, it should not be, I'm stuck in this room with this other person. What am I going to do? And he said, instead, you should be thinking, they're stuck in this room with me. What are the, you know, how are they yeah. out of this? So, you know, that part, um, I think publicly, he's got to come out and say that. And, right, man, I would love to see something like that happen. Reality, um, you and I both know that that, yeah. It's not going to be the case. And I, I think that he's got some distractions away from um, the octagon that are keeping him from really focusing and getting back to his game. I, I mean, it's been a number of years since we've seen the BJ Penn that, um, that you know, created this, uh, this legacy that we know of. I mean, you know, this young kid that just took the uh, – you know, UFC by storm and it just, it's not there anymore. So I like when I see fighters like that, whether it's boxing or MMA, I, I don't want to say it's, it's embarrassing because you have to come to grips yourself. And he's looking at um, the, the fight tape afterwards. I got to believe in my mind that he's seeing something that he feels like he can correct right. and go back out and sure. and fix that for the next fight. So it's either that um, and his corner, his coaches, you know, his team believe that also, or, you know, he doesn't have somebody close to him that's being honest with him. Well, we brought up a good point that I think probably we could talk about a lot longer, which is, surrounded if you surround yourself with people that aren't honest with you because they're benefiting from it we saw this with mike tyson see there's a lot of boxers where they surround themselves with yes men and and a lot of their their people around them are just like oh you'll be champ again you'll be great again you'll be what his manager is getting a cut right oh everybody around him is benefiting from bj penn still fighting i think that kind of makes it suspect if bj penn were to go to a new gym right now and be assessed by an MMA coaching staff. He's, what, 42? MMA coaching staff that has no idea who he is, which you couldn't do, right, because everyone knows who BJ Penn is. There's no way they'd say, oh, yeah, you should be fighting the UFC, right? Um, and I think that's part of it. Now, as far as him identifying things he, he thinks he can prove on, that's, that's possibly true. Um, but one of the things in the fight game is just because you see it doesn't mean you can capitalize on it. And I think the BJ Penn of old with his – natural athleticism and just his, his really good ability to, to find ways to win and just be so, so dynamic and so good was he was able, I mean, we're talking split seconds, right? And I think he might be able to see it on a tape just because you can see it on tape. Doesn't mean you can do it. Think about Silva. Silva was able to do things in the cage at his prime, which made him look like Bruce Lee or made him look like that he was a hologram. I mean, there was that time was with, um, with Forrest Griffin, that it almost looked like you had faked it. It almost looked like you had CGI'd it in some way so that Forrest was just punching nothing, and then they put Silva in there, and it 
he was dodging it, right? It looked it looked completely artificial with how fast he was. But even with, with Silva's timing, he's still fighting, but Silva's timing's gone. And he probably still watches tape and can say, oh, I should be able to take advantage of that. But, but can you, I, I think is the, is the issue. But um, I, w- I just think at this point that, yes, everybody that fights in the UFC needs to have the mindset. For, for our listeners, go check out the interview we just did with Tony Gravely. A great interview, but he was talking about having um, several losses, two in a row and three out of four, pretty early into his pro career. And he was talking about having the mental, so he brought up, excuse me, mental, where he said having the mental mindset that you've got to push through it and you got to be tough and you got to be disciplined. And then now he's on a crazy uh, 10 out of 11 fight win streak and six in a row. And we want to see him in the UFC. Um, we'll keep saying that till it happens, right? Um, we're just going to keep calling for that, Jim. But anyhow, like he brought it. up mental toughness. And I think that's very important. However, he was 24 and 25 at the time, age-wise. He's 27 now. So he was about 25, 25 and a half when that happens. I think that's more realistic. You're young. You're still learning. You've got a lot of tools. And obviously where he is now is a great example. But I don't think BJ Penn and Silva can look back and say that, that their best like their best years were not behind them. Obviously, their best years were behind them. Tony could look and say, hey, you know what? I'm still learning. Um, I only had a couple amateur fights. He's only been training right now for four years. He can still say for a couple more years, three, four more years, hey, I'm still young in this sport. BJ Penn and, and Anderson Silva can't say that. Their best years by far are behind them. And I think that's the acceptance piece. Tony also talked about, we were talking about uh, performance answers that relates to uh, TJ Dillinger. He was saying, which I thought was really smart too, that you've got to be able to know when you're not the man. And I think one of the things that BJ Penn mentally and Anderson Silva mentally both got used to, and why not? They're, they were the best at their time, right? Is they used to be in the man. And it's very hard, I think, when you realize you're not the man. And, and, and I think we're, we're talking a lot about the emotional side. I would say as a counselor, they, probably everybody that is a professional athlete needs to be in counseling because it's such, what have you done for me now? Whether it's baseball, it doesn't matter what sport it is. Um, it, you really get this externalized self-worth where I'm only worth what people see in me and whether or not I'm winning championships. And, 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 and that's so unhealthy. And I, you've said it several times that BJ needs to focus. I think BJ needs to focus on other things. Be a healthy person. Go, go do, if you have a family, go, go do that. Well, you know, go be somebody that that builds, that that builds some type of um, impact or network. And when you think about intrinsic rewards, most of the fighters that do very well, they're extrinsic reward focused, meaning I'm going to go and be the champ. I'm going to go and be the champ. I'm going to, you know, and they have to focus on that. I'm going to win. I'm going to win. And there's nothing wrong with that because it makes you successful. But if you're not also intrinsically motivated and having a reward pathway that says, Hey, I'm proud of myself for, for what I'm learning. I'm proud of myself for the man I am. Then when you start losing, you can say, you know what? Yes, I'm no longer getting the rewards I want, but I'm proud of who I am. I'm proud of the legacy I have. I'm proud of who I can be outside of fighting. And, and like, I don't need fighting to have my identity. And as a counselor, I think that a lot of fighters, they get their fighting their, their identity strictly through fighting as opposed to who I am as a person. And probably one of the best examples I've ever seen of somebody that knew their identity outside of fighting was my, oh man, he was as a hero, as a, as a war veteran, uh, you don't get much better than Brian Stan, right? And Brian Stan would always say coming into a fight that people would talk about. If you don't know Brian Stan, cause he hasn't fought in a while, he's been retired. Look up his fights. I mean, just an incredible guy won the silver star in 04, 05 
in Afghanistan, incredible, an incredible uh, war hero. But also he would always say, hey, when I go into that cage, it's not a war. I've seen war. You know, people say, oh, it's a war. And, and I'd rather die than lose. And he'd say, no, you know what a bad day is? A bad day is watching a, a brother die. A bad day is potentially dying yourself. And he'd say, even if I lose, I'm going to go home to my wife and kids. And I think in a way that made Brian stand a sharper and more healthy person because he was able to say when he started losing, he was able to say, hey, I've got more valuable things. He runs a um, higher vets, I think is what it's called, higher vets, higher heroes. Higher heroes is what Brian Stan is running, which is an organization to support veterans getting jobs. And I, and I think in a way, BJ and, and Anderson, go find something that has intrinsic value. Maybe it's coaching. Maybe it's inspirational speaking. Maybe it's doing something completely outside of fighting, like what Brian Stan's doing. I think that's part of the, of the mental piece. Uh, we're getting a little deep on the counseling side, but, but that's, I think, a big part of, of the mindset. Um, and I know you want to talk about the mindset that Rose has, and she actually brought up some things relating to her value of whether or not she just wants to see herself as a fighter. So you want to talk about that now? Yeah, that's, that's a perfect segue into, there we go. Uh, into Rose and the mental aspect of the game. You just talked about Stan and what could be more stressful than a career in the military yeah. and going off to yeah. war. And then he, you know, goes into the ring and, and you know, says, look, you know, my stress is, you know, fighting for my yeah. country. And, you know, I, I can come here and um, get some sort of release from that. And at the end of the right. day, I'm walking out of this ring, just like you said, and uh, right, you know, right. get to go you know, be with my family and friends again. Um, and, you know, so with Rose, you know, uh, UFC 237, dominant first round. Um, she even commented after uh, the fight that she felt like she was really um, taking it to her. And and I agree. Um, but the, the comment that I want to get to is yeah. where she said that, you know, she sort of hinted at retirement. Um, although there, there was something she said uh, yesterday, I believe, um, uh, something about how Dana White picked her walkout f- uh, song and that she would never let him do that again. So there was, you know, a little bit of a contradiction there. You know, there was the hint at retirement, you know, in the uh, the Octagon interview and then, you know, her comment about Dana. But um, she, it, it was almost 400 days or it might have even been 400 days um, to the day since she last fought. And she was obviously getting some pressure from the UFC and from Dana to get back into the ring. And um, based on what she had said, I don't think she was ready mentally. And, you know, she made the comment about wanting to go and possibly do something else now. Uh, There's, you know, another uh, big, big name female MMA fighter that, everybody knows and that's ronda rousey obviously she's retired now but she just spoke recently about the mental strain uh in mma versus what she's going through now and how that mental strain outweighs um what she goes through physically in the wwe now you know there's two fighters right there who you know one i would say you know even though she lost she still went out really on the top of her game, but you know, she, um, she ran it. This is Rousey. She ran into somebody who, you know, had, had kept evolving and de- developed their fight game. 
Um, and I think Rousey did not was not able to match that um, style anymore. Um, right. But you know, she with that first loss to Holly Holm, obviously she was she was bothered, and it it took some time for her to really come to grips with what happened in that loss. Not only was it you know her first loss uh, as professional, but it it was you know, in devastating fashion, it was, you know, highlight one that, um, you know, Holly Holm will cherish for the rest of her life, but uh, <laughs> it just, you know, was so devastating for it. it. It was like a, you know, storm that was brewing and she obviously wasn't ready for it. It took her, um, you know, a year to come back. And then, you know, she ran into a freight train with Amanda Nunes. Um, so right. I don't think she was mentally ready um, for either of those fights, you know, hindsight says definitely not for uh, Nunez. And with everything that right. she had going on prior to the Holly Holm fight, and um, I think she was doing a movie at the time and a lot of uh, you know social media um, uh, appearances. She just had a lot on her plate, and you know, it, it showed in her fight game and the distractions away from the octagon. Um, had definitely caused a problem for her. So we've talked about this before, uh, you know, not maybe in uh, this uh, kind of detail, but um, Luke, you had mentioned uh, before on previous podcasts that you're a professionally licensed um, therapist. So, you know, you have um, some insight into, um, you know, what people go through on a daily basis and how they deal with stress and how it affects things that they do, you know, I, I know for me as a fan, when I'm watching a fight, I, I can feel like as <laughs> the fight, you know, is yeah. about to happen, I'm getting nervous. And I, I feel those butterflies that I used to have whenever I was competing, you know, back in the day. And it's just, it's, it's a ton of pressure, no matter um, how you look at it, but to go through that grind, you know, that, um, that fight camp that lasts six weeks and you've got to, you know, hit your weight and you're cutting. And I just, that mental aspect people um, for, you know, so many obvious reasons kind of disregard because fight night's here and it doesn't really matter to the, uh, really to most of the fans, what it took for that fighter to get to that point. Yeah. Well, back on Rose, one of the things I've, I've appreciated about Rose, because if you watch some of her interviews, she's, um, she's dealt with some mental health issues. She had a really bad childhood and uh, she's gone to therapy and counseling and, and she really speaks openly about it. She's, I think, a really good example of somebody who cares more about who she is as a person, which I think is a good thing. Um, she also had, had some issues with, and they've been very public about it, but she had some issues with Pat Berry um, because he was, he was, dealing with some um, alcohol issues. And uh, she went to a couple of fights. She went into a couple of fights, um, really distracted by Pat Berry's drinking. And he, there was a couple of times he was supposed to corner her, I think at least once. He was supposed to corner her and then he didn't show up because he was dealing with uh, you know, too much alcohol. But anyhow, they've, from, from what I know, they've, they've worked on that. You know, Pat is doing much better and he's in recovery, at least from what I most recently know. And they're back together because they had broken up. And, and so I, I think she has a really good, 
um, mindset. I, I mean, obviously, I suggest that people get into therapy. I think that could really help. But I think both Pat and Rose um, have realized that like they're who they are as people matters much more. And even for Pat as a really, really high level kickboxer and a really stud of a guy for him to come out and be so honest, it's been a couple of years now but for him to come out, and be so honest about his alcohol issues and, and, and saying that Rose was right to break up with him and that he was, uh, you know, ruining her mentally and that she was more worried about him and his issues than, than herself and fighting and that she was starting to lose fights. You think about her early in the UFC, she started to lose fights that she shouldn't have lost, but it's because so much was gone. Like she was walking out to her fight song, knowing that she didn't know what was going on with Pat because he was, because he was MIA with drinking. So I, I think they've kind of journeyed through that. And what Rose was saying afterwards is she, she has so much more value in her life and she cares about things much more than just fighting. I think it was actually a really healthy comment as a fight fan. I think one of the things that's frustrating about that fight, is that she was winning, you know, all but four seconds of it. And it was those four seconds that mattered, right? Um, but one of the things is, and everybody loves to come from behind. It was hard for me to like that come from behind. Everybody loves to come from behind submission or come from behind knockout. And that was a come from behind knockout. Taking nothing away from Jessica Andron, she won in a convincing fashion. And, and, and you know, it was a, it was a very highlight reel for her but it is it was hard for me because i really like thug rose i like who she is as a person her technique was incredible being off 13 months and she did mention afterwards that she felt she was rushed that people will say hey i thought i rushed or i thought i was rushed that all means the ufc brass and dana like let's be real right um it, it's not oh i was rushed by myself maybe some fighters rush themselves i'll talk about that because that's one of my points i want to talk about but um uh, for rose i i think for her I would like to see her fight her again because I think she could do an immediate rematch. Whether or not they would, I think this is an example where, yeah, immediate rematch makes a lot of sense. Um, now, usually, if you're a fan of the UFC or MMA, you know that immediate rematches are usually only, only if you've had a long, storied uh, tenure as champion. And so bringing that up, Joanna Champion, where is she? You know, Because Joanna Champion had the longest the longest female run tied right up there with Rousey, the longest female run of title offenses and then lost and bang, they immediately gave it to somebody else. So, so I think it would be interesting to see Joanna uh, champion, come back and maybe fight Andrade. But I would say with, with how dominant she was in that fight prior to the slam, it would be interesting to see the rematch. One more thing. I wasn't a huge fan of the Kimura defense because uh, I'm watching the fight, right? And Andrade keeps pushing her in and keeps trying to take her down, which was kind of the plan for Andrade. And power punch inside. And, and you know, because the height difference. And, and like you mentioned, Rose was just phenomenal. I mean, D, uh, DC Cormier said that she was put on a master class. And she really was. I mean, it was, it was everything you'd want it to be. And it was, it was so beautiful. Being out, it was almost like Dominic Cruz in the sense that he was out for so long. The injury came back. And it was just so dominant when he, when he first returned. And she was doing such a great job. I understand that the Kimura defense was certainly working, um, but I still feel like that probably now it's hindsight, but I feel like that probably wasn't the best. I, I would have preferred threatening with uh, like a front headlock or a guillotine. I think it, it, that she probably would have had a back out of that because Rose is long enough to, to do a, a, a front guillotine and either stand it up because Rose is so much taller. Usually you're not going to get a standing guillotine, but if there's a height difference, you usually can. So I think she might have been able to go for that. 
or even dropping the guard and probably not wanting to be on her back. I don't blame her necessarily for not dropping the guard, but I think she probably should have gone for a different defense. Now, as the commentators were pointing out, the the Kimura defense was working, sort of. And if you watch it, she had tried it at least twice before and it was working. It, it helped her get out, get out of trouble. But then what Andros did is she most likely listened to her corners, but she but she made a difference and all she had to do was pop her head to the other side and then she and then she got that monster slam. So to me that's not the best defense if all it takes is a person positioning their head on the outside and then they've got this this massive slam ability. So I, I do think that if that if they rematch and if Rose fights again, particularly against Andrew, she she probably although she's incredible and I think she's one of the best um in the business and she was looking so great, I think she probably needs to work a few different type of um takedown defense um other than than that she clearly was trained to do that she was clearly using that over and over again so it was something that they felt comfortable with and i understand why they felt comfortable with it because they probably had trained it uh, a lot in training camp and it worked for them but sometimes the problem with training camp is that your sparring partners aren't going to do things like slam you on your head right that's like the worst thing a sparring partner could ever do and so there's times where in training camp things go unmissed because you're not aware. But now that that weakness has been pointed out, nothing wrong with what Rose is trying to do, but now that weakness has been pointed out, I'd like to see her team, if she does fight again, come around her and figure out some other options, particularly against Andrade, which is going to really, she's really, really going to, to push that takedown. Because when uh, Thug Rose knocked out Toronto Champion, it was a, it was a pure striking match, which, which at the time going into that, you and I probably would have said would have favored or Jajek, because of how dominant she was with Muay Thai, right? We probably would have said, oh, man, if Thug Rose keeps it standing, that's probably not going to be great for her. And she just obliterated her, right? So I do think that that's an interesting mindset. Personally, as you brought up, and I said I was a counselor, I want people to do what, what's healthiest for them. And that when you think about self-actualization and kind of being happy with who you are, be happy with who you are. And so if Rose never fights, I feel like she probably will. But if Rose, Rose never fights in the UFC again, but she goes on and lives a, a, a happy, fulfilled, mental health, stable life, given her background, whether she stays with Pat Berry, which right now it looks like they are. And, you know, if they build a life together, if she builds a life with somebody that she can love and respect and trust. I mean, I think that there needs to be more important things outside, like you've been mentioning about BJ, than just fighting. So I would, lo- I would love for her to fight again. She's 27. She's young. But she's also been one that she got into fighting with a lot of emotional issues, a lot of depression, a lot of anger, a lot of trauma response stuff. That's how she got into fighting. So young, she's like 20. She got into fighting. And so I think in some ways, her comments afterwards are basically like, I don't need fighting anymore. And, and that's, I think, as a counselor, I love to hear that because as a fan, I don't. So I'd love to see her keep fighting. But I think she's honest. I think she's saying like, I, there was a time when I needed to fight because she was kind of mad at the world. She had a lot of emotional stuff going on, but now with, with her life doing better and getting counseling and being more stable. And, and she worked that, that out with Pat and, and she kind of stood up for herself. We would count that call that in counseling as she was assertive to him and say, Hey, I love you. I care about you, but you can't keep drinking. You can't keep doing this because you're ruining my life and you're ruining your life. And it was a wake up call to him. And so I, I think that there's a point right after the fight where she's kind of rolling through her head and goes, you know, what? I, I don't really need this. Because emotionally, she's doing better, and, and that would be best for her. So that's my thoughts on Rose. Yeah, Luke, you know what? I, I agree with what you said about Rose. I, I feel like um, mentally, with, uh, especially with what you said, you know, this kind of jogged through my mind. Comparing her to Rousey, there are two different mental approaches that 
um, they each had. Um, Rousey was coming back and was like, she, like, this can't happen to me. This can't happen to me. But, you know, she was still trying to process that. But as you said with Rose, um, interesting. I I totally agree with you um, that Rose is in a different um, place in her mind where she's okay with everything she's gone through, even with this loss, and it's part of the fight game. She's accepted that. But you know what? For her, she's been there before. And as you said, she has dealt with things personally in her life where she's had to mentally process that. And, you know, in some aspects it has played out in her life. And then MMA became um, sort of a, a, a stress relief for her. So, yeah, I do think with her saying, you know, she has other things mm. to do, she's legitimately saying, you know, I'm, I'm ready to do this. If, if now is my time to walk away, then so be it. Um, but I'll take some time to think about it. And um, if, you know, if everything feels right, I'll come back and we'll, we'll do a rematch with Andrade. So, yeah, interesting points, Luke. So um, that is going to wrap it up for, uh, for mm-hmm. this episode of MMA FanCast. Um, we got a couple of uh, podcasts coming up where we have some fighter interviews. We're going to be talking about some UFC events coming up. UFC 238 is uh, on the horizon. So you definitely want to um, tune in to, uh, to our upcoming episodes. We've got a lot of interesting talk. As I mentioned before, my name is Jim Mooney. My podcast partner is Luke Payson, and I want to thank you for listening to MMA FanCast.